Hello, everyone. I'm Sophia, and you're listening to Beyond Study Abroad, the Notre Dame Study Abroad podcast. Welcome back, everyone. We're so happy to have you all here for episode three, which is actually going to look a little bit different from our episodes in the past. Today, I don't have one or two students joining me, but actually instead two Notre Dame International staff members that have volunteered their time to come on to the podcast and answer all of our questions about applications and the scary myths that we as students hear about the study abroad application process. So let's go ahead and just get started. So hi everyone, today we're here on a special episode all about applications and the application process and who better to tell us about this process than two of our admissions representatives, Brigitte Richmond and Sam Horas. They both work with different study abroad programs, but both have much experience reading applications, knowing what they want to see from students. And so today they're here to tell us all about this. So let's start by giving a quick introduction. So Brigitte, do you want to start? Yeah. Hey, guys. Um, My name is Brigitte Richmond. Um, I work with our programs in the UK, so London, St. Andrews, and Norwich. Um, I've been here for about five years. Um, I'm very passionate about study abroad. I studied abroad in Austria, so it was a big impact in my life. So when I thought I wanted to, what do I want to do in my life? I thought, why not study abroad? That's awesome. And Sam, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So my name is Sam Juarez, and I am the program director um, for our programs in Ireland, France, and in Switzerland. Um, I've been with the ND community for a little over a year now. Um, Very similarly, I think most of the people on the study abroad team um, have some international experience. Um, I myself was abroad in college for a year and then went back to work abroad after I graduated. Um, and then I went back to school to get my master's, and now I'm at Notre Dame. Thanks for having us. Of course. Thank you guys for agreeing to be interviewed and giving those such great introductions. So kind of hopping right into things. I know lots of kids are probably writing their applications right now. So kind of, I guess, Brigitte, I'll ask you the first question. What is something that you kind of wish that students knew more regarding applications or kind of asked you guys more about before going to write them? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I meet with a lot of students um, and they want to talk about London. And it seems very overwhelming in the beginning because there's so many programs. You know, what are we looking for? What's the process? Um, So the one thing I want everybody to know is kind of your study abroad experience begins right now um, when kind of that study abroad seed was planted that you're interested in the programs. So looking at applying to study abroad as more of like a research um, versus something overwhelming, like it's exciting to look at all the programs that we offer, um, what kind of courses, talking to students. Um, So your study abroad journey really begins here um, and it will continue. It doesn't begin when you land in your destination. Um, right now is kind of where everything will start. Yeah, I remember my time when I was applying, looking at all of the programs and stuff. That It was exciting. So I'm glad that you said that because um, that's something I guess I never really thought about when I started to apply. So that's something nice for students to keep in mind that this is just as important right now, picking the program as it is getting there. Um, so 
a little more on actually writing the application, what to include in it, what makes a good application. Sam, I'll ask you this next question. What is something as an avid application reader you think is most valuable um, to see in a study abroad application or what's something that you would like to see and make an application good when reading it? Yeah, this is a really great question and probably the one that I get the most often. Um, and it's really tied to, to the first question. So um, it's really important for us that the materials that you submit to us, including your personal statement, show us that you've thought a lot about what are your personal, professional, and academic goals for wanting to go to that particular university. So it's, it's pretty obvious when students have taken the time to research their host universities to see what is it that they have to offer them that's going to make their experience what, what they want. Particularly, I would say, with the Ireland and with the London programs, and this is probably more so true with Dublin, but I'll have so many students that write about how they have some kind of um, uh, background or they are perhaps Irish or, or their family is. Um, so they want to go for that reason, as well as they speak English, so it's going to be an easy transition, which I get and is totally um, valid and, and wonderful. But if I were to accept students on that reason alone, I would have to take everyone. And the reality is we just don't have the capacity for that. So what really sets students apart is when they can identify very clearly what they want out of their abroad experience and how going to that place is going to help them get there. So some of the best statements that I've ever read have compared the economics departments of the host university with that of ND and students have identified potential labs that that they want to be a part of. I mean th these are students who are really thinking very seriously about um, where, where they want to go and why. So I really do encourage students to really look at the website and really comb through what are the programs that maybe they'd be surprised by would actually be a good fit based on their interest and their major. Um, your personal statement is really where students can, can shine and show us who they are and what they want out of their time there. That was a great answer. No, that was perfect. This is great advice. I, I wish I had this podcast episode to listen to before I wrote my application because God knows I could have used some of these tips for sure. Um, so I know one of the first things like before you even go to start uh, your application is kind of like deciding which program you want to do. So I guess my next question will be for you, Brigitte, because you kind of mentioned the beginning of your study abroad journey starts when you decide which program you're going to do. So are there any kind of like resources that you would suggest that students look into regarding kind of choosing which program is best? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that when it comes when you're sitting down and you're thinking about where you want to study abroad, really doing a lot of self-reflection of what you're, you're hoping for your experience, what you're uncomfortable with, what you're comfortable with, and really eliminating kind of this background noise of all the, the chitter chatter about study abroad and focus on you. Um, so this is your, this is your journey. This is where it all begins. Um, you're going to learn a lot about all our different programs and um, that doesn't mean you have to select them or go on them, but it's just really, figuring out what you want. So when you think about the resources, there isn't really just going to be one like website that's going to answer all your questions. So this is where you'll go to all the different platforms to get information. Um, one, which is of course the website. Um, two, connecting with the study abroad advisors, we can really help answer those questions that maybe not 
maybe not be on the website, um, listening to the podcast, reaching out to our study abroad influencers, um, check them out on social media. On Instagram, you can really get like a daily feel, look into what life is like there and finding out what's kind of the best program for you. Um, so you're going to get a lot of different information from a lot of different avenues and that's okay. And that's actually probably the best because you'll get all the different perspectives. And then that's when it will take some time. Um, you'll do some internal reflections of what's really important for me and what's not that important, but I can live with and things like that. And that's part of the process. And that that's what makes the journey the journey. Um, so doing a lot of self-reflection and reaching out to all your resources is, is a great, is great. Yeah, I, I would say one of the key pieces, um, I guess that I want to emphasize is that over the summer, the study abroad team um, came together to decide, okay, things are moving to be more virtual when it comes to advising, what are some resources that we can put together for students on a platform that they are already used to, to really help them comb through all the options in a way that is constructive for them. Um, so we created this uh, initiative called Study Abroad Compass. So right now it consists of one Sakai course, it takes maybe 45 minutes if you kind of do it all in, in one sitting, um, but there are various modules that will essentially walk students through how to pick a location, how to pick a host university, again, based on what your goals are of your study abroad journey, really. Um, and the final module within that addresses the personal statement very specifically. We address common do's and don'ts. Um, just We just give general tips based on the years and years of, of us having read uh, statements. So I definitely think that if a student really doesn't know where to start, and even if you think you do, if you know, I want to go to Dublin and that's it, I think you'll be surprised by this initiative because it's really designed to help you explore all of the options based on your interests as opposed to what you think you know. So again, this is kind of an opportunity to get the accurate information from us as staff as opposed to, you know, the rumors and what you think that you might know. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that you shared that. That's very helpful. And that's kind of like a great transition into our next portion is kind of talking about like those rumors and the the myths that you hear from that peer-to-peer -peer interaction of, of what is study abroad? Like, what do they want in applications? Where can I apply to study abroad? Where should I apply? A lot of students can come back and share their experiences and what they know about it, but a lot of times it can get twisted. And throughout the years, obviously, study abroad application processes evolve. And so I kind of just want to go through a couple of things. I wrote out here actually from my own personal experience, things that other students have told me, things that I guess I maybe thought um, that were true about study abroad that I later came to found maybe are not. So we're going to play a little game with you guys. Um, kind of like a true or false study abroad myths and rumors. So I'll give you one that I've heard from, from other students and let me know if that's true or false and kind of a little background on why. So the first one was that in the application process, the only thing that matters is your GPA. If you have a higher GPA, you have a much better chance at getting into your first choice program. True or false? False. Oh, yes. That is a big false. Can I explain why? Absolutely. 
Sure. So a student's GPA is really only um, what we call a minimum eligibility component. It isn't like a data ranking point for you all. It really just means that if a program's minimum GPA is a 3.0, if you have a 3.0 or above, I will look at your application the same way I would as a 4.0. At that point, it does not matter at all as long as you meet the minimum. And typically those minimums aren't even really set by us. They're set by the host university. So if one tends to be higher, like I know for one of my programs, fraternity, the minimum is 3.3. That isn't because me or ND says it needs to be a 3.3. That's because the host university says. So that really is just a minimum. Do you qualify? That's really then where the other components come in. So your personal statement, your faculty recommendation, if needed, your rector reference, all the other components. So yeah, that's a great, great uh, myth to bust. Yeah, and that's very helpful, I'm sure, too. So this is now to all of our students listening right now and are applying or wondering if they can apply because their GPA might be a little lower. You all have the same shot as a kid with a 4.0. Uh, it all comes down to the, the personal statement, right? And, the, and what, how much research you've put into it. So don't worry right. about your GPA. Perfect. Okay, so myth number two um, is specifically speaking to the Mendoza business students that have all this like, uh, fall recruitment for important internships and everything. So what I was told that was as a business student, you can't or you shouldn't study abroad in the fall semester because that's when all the recruiting for summer internship and job opportunities happens. Is that true or false? False. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of business students that go in the fall. I think recruiting um, is exciting and, and there's a lot of opportunities, but also a different opportunity studying abroad. Maybe in London we have internships. It's not the same thing, um, and I'm not saying it is, but it's, it's a unique thing to have on your resume. If you decide to go in the fall, there's different opportunities that you can have abroad. And we work closely with the Career Center um, and the business school, and they encourage students to be creative in finding an internship. Um, not everybody will get an internship in the fall, but you know, kind of, playing a different route and finding new things, being unique. I mean, everybody gets a summer internship all over the US. I mean, but having an internship like a parliamentary internship in London where you get to experience another working culture, I mean, that's very unique. Whether it's 40 hours a week or 12 hours a week, I don't think in the end that matters. I think the experience just adds so much value. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And also because I thought that this was true at first as well, but then when I went to London in the fall, there were a lot of business students. So I was like, okay, I guess this isn't true. Um, and I actually had a lot of business friends that one of my good friends, Kendall, had an internship at at the British Parliament. So that was definitely unique. And she said she could use that in her like interviews and stuff because that was a very unique internship that no one else had the opportunity to do. I had another friend, Liam, who interned at the Cleveland Clinic in London and got to see kind of like business part of healthcare in a different country with the NHS, which is so huge in, in the UK. So that was really neat. So I was happy that they got to have those experience and kind of like an extra little support for why this, this kind of myth isn't true. Kind of speaking on the London program, um, another myth that I heard, um, myth number three, is that the London and Dublin programs are the two most competitive programs and the two that are the most difficult to get into. True or false? So I always say competitive um, 
because of the number of applications and not competitive because of the qualifications. Okay. Um, specifically for London, we just have a lot more applicants in the springtime. Um, and then in the past, we've only been able to accommodate about 150 students, which that's a, a large number. Um, but when you have double the amount of applicants, it, it's, it's very challenging to, to fit everybody into the program. Um, fall, fall, generally has a lot more space because students want to stay for football season and that's great but um, I think springtime it's com it's quote competitive because we just have a lot more applicants that we can't fit into the number of uh, spaces that we have. Yeah and speaking on this kind of like competitive nature of specific programs I know on the application there's a, a, a spot to indicate a first and second choice so I was debating on whether doing whether whether to do that or not when I was applying and kind of a myth that I was told was that if you put something as your second choice, you're not going to get it just because it's your second choice. And so I put London as my second choice and I actually ended up getting it. So I guess I know the answer to whether or not this uh, rumor is true or false, but I'll ask you guys is um, the kind of fact of putting a second choice in your application going to limit your chances of getting into that program. Is that true or false? That's false. So I think you're, you're touching on some really good points in terms of applying to more than one program. Um, our take is this, is if you are applying to two programs, you want to go to them and you would be fine with placement in either program. So it's going to be really important that you are really sure that you would be happy with either one. Um, I would say in terms of the London and Dublin being the most competitive, it really depends. Um, at this point in time, we have over a 90% placement rate. The students that don't end up getting placed is because they have their heart and mind set on one specific program during the spring. Like that, that is seriously who ends up missing out. So in terms of putting a program as a second choice, it, it would be uh, smart on the students part to understand which programs and which host universities are those programs where the volume of applicants is just so high that it doesn't become it, it becomes a, a space issue the reality is is that 95 98 percent of the students that apply are qualified for the program that they are applying to it's just a matter of capacity and space um trinity for example i have 20 spaces in the fall 20 spaces in the spring and applications pretty much always out, outnumber three to one um, in the spring versus, versus fall. So when students are asking me, hey, which, which, which semester should I put as my preference? I say, well, are you open to going in the fall? Because then I would put fall because I can already tell you just based on the data from years past, it, there's a really significant imbalance. Um, and that, and that kind of cuts across most of our programs, but is especially true in London and Dublin, which is why I think you get that sense of, oh, it must be very competitive, um, when in reality, it's just a matter of people being flexible and, and uh, understanding that, you know, there are so many options. So how do you really maximize your chances of going somewhere? And again, it's typically the students that are very much like, I want Trinity and in the spring, and that's it. Well, I, I hope that that works out for you. But there's so many other wonderful places to go. So let's, you know, let's work together to figure out um, where that might be for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, kind of speaking to this point of the fact that there's so many different abroad programs that Notre Dame offers. I know a lot of kids think of those first ones like London that don't have a language barrier, but there's so many that are in different countries that do speak a different language. So one of the kind of rumors that I heard is that you should not or cannot apply to those programs that are in a different country that have a different language if you are not pretty good or already have experience in that language. So is that kind of a true or false statement? So that's false to a certain extent. So there are some programs that will have some kind of requirement. Um, so I think in Rome, like you have to have a minimum of one semester. Um, however, there are so many programs where uh, you really don't need any semesters because the language of instruction at the host university is English. Um, and it might be somewhere in Asia. Uh, so I think it's really on the students' uh, best interest to, again, check out the website. And there is a section of, uh, of the website that will tell you very specifically what is required to apply. So again, it's, every program is different, but for the most part, no. I think students would be surprised by the number of programs that actually don't require any language classes. That's good. That's great to know. I hope the students that are listening uh, to this podcast right now can uh, listen to that and kind of be more encouraged to apply to maybe a program they might be scared to because of the language requirement. Um, okay, so we'll do, I guess, one more true false is specifically about the wait list. If you are not accepted at first and placed on the wait list, I heard personally, there's no chance you'll get off of it because no student chooses not to study abroad. So if you get on the wait list, it's just a nice say of, way of saying that you've been rejected. Is that true or is that false? False, very false. Um, yeah, it's not, I always tell everybody, it's not judgment day, it's not, it's not the end. You hear, you know, there's many opportunities to get off the wait list. Um, sometimes there are other programs um, that either open up in the fall, um, we may offer you uh, space in the same program, but in the fall, because there's space. Um, other programs may not have applications or they're just still extra spots or, or something like that. So there's so many opportunities to get off the wait list and go um, after the decisions are out. Sometimes, I mean, it is, you're waitlisted because there are so many applicants. We, we really don't we just can't fit everybody in the program. So um, generally London, Dublin, and Rome will have waitlist meetings and your program director will reach out to you after the decisions are to see kind of what the next steps are. Um, and the one question I always get is, well, where am I ranked on the waitlist? We don't do rankings. London doesn't have, I mean, uh, some students will say, well, can you just rank by GPA? Because my GPA is really high. Well, there's so many people close to the, the same GPA. I mean, it would be impossible. Um, so we are very passionate about trying to to give that opportunity to every student who applies um, and really will work with you to see what the next steps are what the next program you know maybe thinking about different programs or the same program in this uh, a different semester um, so yeah that's good that's I think really encouraging for students that might get waitlisted to hear this and hear you guys say um, all of these these true false statements that are mostly false. So this is great to know. Thank you so much for debunking all of those myths and kind of putting to rest those rumors. Let's go back to a couple of questions I have. So in the past episodes, it's kind of been a theme 
there obviously are many concerns or apprehensions that students may have before deciding to study abroad. I know last week Katie mentioned a couple that she personally experienced. And I think this is something a lot of students um, kind of go through before having this experience. So as a question to you both, what is something that you most know or have heard students come to you and talk about, about kind of the barriers that are in front of them um, for the study abroad program and how can they kind of overcome these? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. Um, and I'd say the, the list could actually be pretty, pretty long. So, I mean, we've touched on a few earlier, students thinking that they have uh, a low GPA, so they think that there isn't any program that will fit, fit for them. Students thinking, I don't know a second language, so then thinking that there isn't a program that is okay for just English that is outside of Dublin and London. Um, I think just generally to students may be questioned, depending on their major, if going abroad is going to help them um, actually continue to advance in, in their major. Um, and really the answer to that is yes. I'd say the sooner you start to think about it and you start to talk to your major advisor and to us about which programs make the most sense for you, the more that we can help you to make it happen. Financially, it, you know, students might wonder how, how is it possible that I, I can go abroad? Um, and the truth is, is that, you know, students' experiences abroad will vary pretty significantly. Just the ones that happen to get the most attention um, kind of fit into one box. So I think when students don't see themselves reflected in, in those stories, um, it might be hard to imagine yourself um, as a student that is going abroad. Um, just nationally, the, the highest population of students that goes abroad is white women. So I think sometimes if that isn't what you are, it might be hard to see yourself as someone that, you know, that that's a possibility for you. Um, so I'm thinking about students that have maybe transferred into Notre Dame. Um, I'm thinking about students who are first-generation college students, so who are the first in their families uh, to go to college and you know, it's a challenge enough to navigate what this new college and, and, and environment is, let alone the abroad one. I mean, it, it, it adds a whole other layer of, of complexity to your experience and to what you understand the college experience is. Um, I'm thinking about students of color um, who, again, just don't necessarily always see themselves, uh, you know, in the study abroad uh, narrative of who goes abroad and why. Um, so I think regardless of where you might fall with that, um, I would say that the study abroad team uh, is trying to work really hard this year um, to ensure that students know that study abroad really is for them, regardless of your background or what you think that you know. Um, yeah, so I, get, I, I just always kind of encourage students to come in and, and chat with us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great too. And uh, really meaningful for students to be able to hear this from you guys that are on the study abroad team that acknowledge like we know there are complications and there are concerns and there are barriers that you're all afraid of, but we're doing our very best to help you overcome those. So I think that's really meaningful for students to hear um, from your guys' perspective. I think that this is going to be a great episode uh, for all the students that are kind of unsure of how to start their personal statement or what to include in their application can take a lot away from. Um, so I just want to say thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your day to answer my questions, debunk some of these rumors and myths about study abroad, and uh, really provide accurate and uh, up-to-date information for all the students looking um, to have this 
amazing study abroad experience that was so life-changing to me and I hope can be for so many other people as well. So thank you both, Brigitte and Sam, so much for being here. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. Thank you. So Sam and Brigitte's emails are also down below in the description of this episode. In case any students listening right now have further questions, feel free to reach out. They would be more than happy to help. And we hope that everyone will also continue listening next week as we delve into some kind of fun and exciting but sad stories from students that were abroad last spring in the 2020 spring semester and had to come home abruptly because of the pandemic. So we'll hear a bunch of different stories of how that panned out for them and what they thought about the whole process. So join us next week as we continue to venture beyond study abroad. 